0: All right, the next question is from Lucky, and the question is about non-physical matter realities. Um, Do these realities exist, or are they just created in real time for having those experiences, and after the experience is over, it's removed from the system to save resources? Yeah. The analogy Actually, that he gives would be—he <laughs> yeah. gives an analogy. It'd be like opening an application on a computer. It loads the memory and takes up resources, and then we close it. We release all the resources. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. mostly that's the way all the realities work. All the virtual realities work that way, and I—I I would refer him to the um, the um, game No Man's Sky, and he'll find that works exactly the same way. When you visit one of their planets. In that uh, game, you make that planet up on the fly, and as soon as you look the other way, it disappears. It doesn't stay there. That's the w- efficient way to make a virtual reality. All realities are virtual. It's, the only thing real is consciousness itself. So all the realities are virtual, and they all are just data streams. That, re- that reality does not exist out there of by itself. You see, any any more than the world of Warcraft exists exists out there by itself. The world of Warcraft only exists in the minds of the players. It's a data stream to the players. The players look at the data, and they, in their mind, interpret the reality. That's the way it is in an out-of-body state or any other state. It's a data stream to you. You get that data, and you interpret it to be that reality. When you're no longer getting that data stream because now you're doing something else, now you woke up and gonna go take a shower or something, then that data stream's gone, that's no longer computed. If you go back to that reality, then it recomputes. Now the question may be, well, if you visit a particular non-physical reality and then you leave it, if somebody else comes to that same place and looks at it, will they see the same thing? And the answer is, there is no place only in a button down uh, uh, physical, quote-unquote, reality like our virtual reality, one that has a very tight rule set, wherein the rule set is so uh, expansive that it appears to be physical. That is, you have a rule set that defines physical causality, and it's a, it's a detailed rule set. That's what, that's what uh, a world being physical means. It just has a rule set that's detailed enough that causality is defined in detail. Any, re- any virtual reality has a rule set, even if it's like the dream reality that doesn't have a, a, a very detailed rule set. All kinds of strange things can happen in dreams. In dreams, you do teleport and fly and do all sorts of things you can't do here because the rule set there allows that. Here it does not. So it's a much less uh, tight rule set in the dream r- world. Anyway, all these realities work the same way. They send you a data stream you interpret that data as that reality. It's not a its not a place, it's a data stream. And when you're no longer getting that data stream, no longer being computed. If somebody else is getting that same data stream or a very similar data stream, then they would see a very similar thing. Okay, now in this button down reality, virtual reality of ours, it's a multiplayer game and we all share data streams that have to be consistent with each other that's what it means to be a multiplayer game we all see the same environment we all see the same trees the same rocks we all play on the same map well in an out of body reality there is no map okay that we all share everything is individual now there are many things will be similar but it's not a map of places. It's not that button down a reality. It's a much looser reality, just like the dream reality. When the reality is very loose, then everybody doesn't see the same thing, even at the same place. A loose reality doesn't define the causality that precisely. See, so that's, you know, so the idea that it is an individual reality from an individual data stream, and yes, others can have a similar experience, but it doesn't mean they've been in the same place. There is no place. It's a data stream. They've gotten a similar data stream. Why did they get a similar data stream? Well, maybe because they intended to have that experience or go to have the same experience you did, like Bob Monroe and his park that he goes to. Well, a lot of people have been in Bob's park, but that's because they intended to have that experience. They got that data stream. They had that experience. Okay? That doesn't mean that somewhere out in non-physical land, there's a park. There is no park, either here or there or any place else. It's all information in a data stream.
0: Okay, Tom. Um, I know when we talk about physical and non-physical, it is somewhat a perspective. Um, and yet, the rule sets, as you say, you know, differentiate between them. They just it, they're distinguished somewhat between uh, by the different rule sets. But when you uh, when you have a when you focus on an MPMR reality, say you visited dozens of non physical matter realities, uh, you have an address of that, and. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's your. It, it is still your interpretation of that. If you have this address, you can go back to that. But what mm. you are seeing, and if what someone else wants, well, I want to go to that reality that where Tom visited, where he spoke with this kind of non-physical being. It was a certain mm. distinctive non-physical being. You could you could tap into that that way, and yet still, it is still distinctively um, uh, subjective.
1: Yeah, it's not a place. So if I go back to someplace I've been, and I'd say I was someplace where I met other beings and made friends and you know, some other reality frame someplace, and I want to go back there, what I'm really doing is not going back there. There is no there. That's just the language we use to describe it. We use that language because we live here in this physical virtual reality, so that makes sense to people to say that. What I'm doing is connecting to the data stream. I'm connecting to the data stream that is that sources, if you will, that reality frame. It's like, uh, I want to go back to the Sims. All right, how do I do that? Well, I go log into the Sims and start getting that data stream. That's how I do it. Now I want to go to you know World of Warcraft. Well, I go to log into World of Warcraft. I start getting that data stream. So it's not that the that World of Warcraft and Sims are places that you go to visit. They're just data streams being served out by a server someplace, and you can insinuate yourself into that data stream so that you're getting that data, and when you do, then you're a part of that reality, you see? And you can exist there as just getting that data, and you're an observer, like you don't have a body there. You're just kind of observing, you know, like uh, you know, a disembodied spirit observing, you know, from above kind of thing. And you can maybe hear their voices and see the action, but you're not actually there, or you can get into it to where you're part of the multiplayer game, which means then they get a data stream that has you in it. Not only you getting the data stream that has them in it. Now you're multiplayer in that game. That's what's called having a body. You're not really making a body. You're just getting into a data stream, and that data stream can be a multiplayer or a single player game, an observer, if you will, or an actor. So these aren't places, they're just data streams. And if it's a something that you individually just do, you're out of body and you go someplace and you see something, it's not part of a big it's not part of a multiplayer game. It's just your game, it's a single player game. all right? Well, in that case, it's probably a single data stream. Just for you, the system is giving you because you're off on an adventure and it's giving you something that might help you grow up or you're just having fun being amused uh, you know by what you can see whatever that's your own data streams your own personal experience. If you get into a multiplayer game now it's a little different if it's multiplayer now other people are also involving in you know in getting a similar data stream. Now it's interactive. Our dreams can be interactive. We have dreams. We interact with other people. Sometimes two people can have a dream and interact with each other within that dream. And they both remember it and both can discuss it. It's not impossible. Well, there they're having a shared multiplayer game, if you will, in that dream, which is another virtual reality, or it may be a single player game. We're not talking about space. We're talking about data streams. The system generates the data streams for us individually or for us in an interactive sense if the interaction is part of what we're doing. In and out of body, most of the time, it's not interactive. It's a single player game. You're getting a single data stream. And when you wake up, go take a shower, the computer isn't computing that data stream anymore. There's no point. There's no There's no user. There's no consciousness. There's no player. Why would it generate data if there's no player? You see? So you can get back in your mind and say, oh, remember that place I went uh, th- three nights ago doing that? I want to go back there. Well, you can start right back there. The system will give you a continuation of that data stream because that's what you ask for. System generally gives you what you ask for. If you don't ask for anything, it's just wild card. You know, like hitting the "I'm feeling lucky" button on the Google search. You can do that, and you'll just get whatever. So, if you don't know enough to to, to precisely tell the system what you want to do, then you'll just get whatever comes out. It's the "I'm feeling lucky" button, and you'll get whatever you get. It doesn't mean that what you got. Is existing out there as a place, even after you're gone. There are no places. There are no places anywhere. Place is a is a is a a thing that we imagine when we when we uh, interpret the data. There is no World of Warcraft place. There is no Sims place. They're all just data streams, and they only send out data streams to players. If there are no players, there are no data streams going out. Nothing's being computed. It's just sitting there in the server, dormant. A player logs on, there's one data stream going to that player, and that's all that's going on. A hundred users log on, every one of those hundred users or hundred players, they get a data stream. And if they happen to run across each other on the map, well, they're interactive. Now they can get together and do things. You see? Or if it's a single-player game, they'll never run into somebody else at which they're interactive. Or if they do, they'll all be computer-generated characters, not necessarily other IUOCs playing a game. I all right, thank you, Tom. It's, it's a real hard thing to get your head around, but it's uh, you know that's the way it is. I can't say it anyway. I think I don't that think helped. It's any simpler?
0: No, I think that helped very much. Um, Using the next question from Dave Mars, um, using the World of Warcraft metaphor, since we're we're talking about you know these kinds of things, um, does MBT prohibit the following scenario from happening? IUOC one player one is sitting in front of a computer playing World of Warcraft using the free real awareness unit or avatar one in the middle of the game he stands up and iuoc player two sits down in his place and takes over the game continuing to use the free will awareness unit avatar one i would just say that i have some pretty specific detailed personal experience that leads me to ask that question
1: okay if the question Uh, is can that happen that means can one mm -hmm. player be replaced by another player in the middle of the game so, here we got a game gone. We got an avatar. That avatar's name's Joe Jones, and he's doing whatever Joe Jones does in this virtual reality. And they switch players so that there's some other free will awareness unit playing that character. Yes, that can happen. That's obviously possible because digital systems are very flexible, but it also does happen occasionally. It's not that common. Because the whole idea is, is that learning is cumulative. If you've got a character going, you know, you want to keep that character going and play the character because you'll learn more that way. If you, Every time you log on, you get a different character. It's really hard to accumulate any knowledge of how to best play that character. So people don't do that, just randomly jump around and change players because it's counterproductive. But it does happen occasionally in the margins for special reasons and you know special purposes so it's a very minor um event that's not very probable in the sense that or it's not very probable if you just look at the the, you know it's a very small fraction of the people that ever experienced that but yes it does happen
0: yes we know of an instance like that um also let's extend that question a little bit further um can Player one and player two play the same avatar.
1: Can there be more than one player playing an avatar? Yeah, right. That's another way of saying that. So can two players play one avatar? Um, right. they would both have to be logged on to the player. And again, if you think of of uh of uh an information system, that is possible. Almost anything's possible in a digital information system, that's possible but they would, if they were going to be effective, they'd need to cooperate, okay? Now, if they didn't care about being effective and they were going to struggle for dominance of the player, then I suspect the player and the game and both both the players and the avatar, you know, wouldn't be very effective in, in helping anybody lower their entropy. That would sound like a, a, a not very profitable game to be in, but yes, it's possible. And even more rarely than the last one I talked about, It does happen occasionally.
0: All right, Tom. A question from JR53. I have a question about the evolution of an information system. As you say, consciousness is trying to evolve by becoming more information, which I understand. But from what I understand about information, new information has to be something different from what we had before to be of any value. So how are we evolving consciousness whilst we're still learning here, when we're just learning and creating the same information that's been created before? Or is my interpretation incorrect?
1: Well, it depends on how you define new information. Everybody here is unique. Everybody's experience is unique. Every uh, avatar is unique. Every consciousness is unique. So it would really be hard to keep doing the same thing you know just to be duplicating what's been done before everything is unique so everything is new and uh, and unique to each each uh, consciousness avatar combination is a unique combination that has unique experience and unique opportunities to grow so nothing is is really the same and it's not so much that that the lower entropy that things have to just be different different isn't the uh isn't or or new, new and different isn't really the the main criteria. It's do you make something that's more meaningful, more significant, that's better in some way, more structure, more content okay, as opposed to you know less content, less structure. Or you're taking those bits and doing something that has more value, well that would be unique. If you've got a certain number of bits and you've got them configured in 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 this way, and you find a way to configure them in a way that's more constructive, more useful, which means lower entropy consciousness, of course, in this in this uh, metaphor that we're using, um, then you have done something different and new. Yes, but it's not that it's different and new. Isn't the isn't the, the most important thing about it? The important thing about it is that it's lowered entropy. It's it's helpful. It's useful. It's moving in a, in, a, uh, in a helpful direction. So it's not just the difference in the newness. That's the key thing. Key thing is value. Is it valuable to the system? Does it offer new value to the system? And everything is unique pretty much. So there's bound to be similarities, but there's never repetition
0: all right and on the same along the same lines um are we here to learn how to become love so that when we are love and are able to freely share information without fear we can combine with a whole group of other consciousnesses to all share information and then create some new information that has not been created before because we have more power in higher numbers
1: well we're we're able to do that anytime all the time i mean we, we always can gather together with other you know individual units of consciousness and share information that's nothing that only can happen when you you know become love that's something that can happen even on the negative side so you always got that open to you in any case now does that happen a lot do uh, you know is that a is that a thing that when you get evolved up to a certain point, you join the, you know, the, um, uh, club of the, well, I don't know, you know, what, what is it? Uh, uh you know, the enlightenment club, you know, and in the enlightenment club, you know, you all hang out together and come up with, with even more amazing ideas. Not really. That isn't my experience that it really works that way. Um, you probably always, no matter what level you are, kind of share things with other units of consciousness. That's kind of how you test out your ideas. It's how you, you know, it's part of your growth is interaction with others. You don't interact. You can't just grow up in a vacuum by yourself. That doesn't work very well. Your growth comes through interaction. So yes, we'll always interact with others. But well, we form kind of a, you know, a, a team to solve problems, Not really, because that's only good if the problems you're solving are intellectual problems. When the problems you're solving are problems of being, then getting a bunch of people together really just isn't that helpful. It's not that useful. Um, Get a bunch of people together tends to create opportunities for ego choices and belief choices more than anything else. So no, there isn't that kind of, you know, grouping up at the upper echelons of evolution to come up with better and better ideas because all of that is intellectual and it doesn't matter anyway. And all that intellect working together is just uh, uh, begging for uh, ego to start uh, to grow there. So it's, it's more of an individual thing.
0: Okay. It does remind me somewhat of what you said once in one of our interviews about Evolving as units, um, and it involved it involved the um, how would we reach another universe? Well, if we evolved this reality enough, we would then have more opportunities, and those rule sets would fall away, and we would be able to evolve as a unit. Uh, the whole say for instance, the whole planet yeah. and yeah. then into the whole universe, so that, that's that sort of reminded me of that
1: okay you're thinking of but, something a little different, and maybe they're thinking hmm. of something a little different too. That is that in our in our evolution as a species now we're going talking at the species level, not the individual level, but as a species, we need to learn to come together, cooperate. And care about each other, if we do that, then we will create another thing we will create something that's bigger than all of us that will be a new thing, if you will it'll be a a uh, it'll be the summation of all of us so we'll create this um, um what is it collected consciousness collective consciousness that'll be a very wonderful thing to behold because it'll be a a highly cooperative Uh, union of a lot of individuated units of consciousness but you still have all the individual you know consciousnesses are still there they're still individual and they're still growing and learning in their own way it's just that together they form something you know they form a culture they form something that is bigger than themselves a culture is bigger than just the people that are in it it's a It's a, um, you could call it group mind or uh, um, shared uh, consciousness, if you will, shared information. And that happens just because we're all netted. All consciousness is netted with each other. So a group that's being very cooperative with each other and caring of each other can produce an environment for themselves to live in that is a very wonderful, supportive, creative environment. See, but now what we're changing is the environment. And that environment is a, is a thing that's bigger and greater than all the pieces that are in it. Okay. But they're creating this environment of love and caring. So yes, that can happen. You can create an environment with a lot of people, but it's still an environment of a bunch of individuals, much as your body is. Your body is, is a cooperative environment of so many trillion cells. All these cells are individual. They come and go. They're, they're, they're created and they die all individually. They do their things. They have certain, certain functions that they perform. Most of it is just algorithmic. Most of it isn't uh, conscious. They're not at the same level that people would be on, but they all cooperate together and share, and they produce this environment in which they can all live and function nicely together. And together, what they create is us. Okay? They create a thing that's bigger than any of them, a cooperative whole. Well, we as humanity will do that one day. We will create a, an environment here on this planet and then maybe others that is very cooperative and loving and caring and supportive of each other. That's our destiny to learn how to do that, where we will eventually go when we lower our entropy enough. And when we do that, we'll have this really nice environment. But all individuals will still be individuals still growing up, still making choices and being part of the whole. And there will be challenges there to maintain that environment. And there will be exceptions to it. There will be those who still are on evolving down the negative side. But yes, you can have collective consciousness as something bigger than the people that are in it. But that's now in the like the species environment that's in a bigger environment. You always have the individuals that are making it up are still are still there in existence. It's not like they meld into just one big group mind and all the individual pieces melt together into something that uh is, is a different animal. It's not doesn't work like that. We're all gonna be individuated units of consciousness, even if we join into groups that produce magnificent environments for us to exist in. There will still be challenges.
0: I think that's where some of the fear comes in. Um, the whole is you're speaking of the whole can be greater than the sum of its parts, and you're speaking about a great, a greater cooperated, cooperative unit. Um, the fear that the individual will be lost is something that people might dwell on and might be afraid of because they have such a an identity, um, but they don't realize that they have more possibilities open to them that uh, they become more free and yes, have true. more choices
1: you know, when you're in a collective like that with people supporting each other you know sometimes just this word collective frightens people right because we live in that part of the world where the word collective is a is a bad word when it comes to social arrangements but in That fear is based on a collective of people with high entropy. In a collective of people with high entropy, some people will take advantage of others, and you may become a cog in a big machine, and you will be less free, and you will be assigned something you don't want to do, et cetera, et cetera. We have lots of experience with that. But that's just because we have a collective of people with high entropy. If you have a bunch of fearful people together, they will make a collective environment that is fear-based. That is abusive. That is all self-centered about whoever's in power and whoever isn't, etc. If you have a collective of low-entropy beings, people who love and care and and uh, are cooperative with each other, now you will have more individual freedom, more opportunities. You can do and be more things than you could ever do and be as just individuals who are not making this cooperative, supportive. Uh, environment. It works just the opposite. So the idea that's very scary about, oh, join a collective and you somebody will give you a crank and tell you it's your job to turn it and you'll be stuck because that's what the collective needs is a crank turner and you happen to be available and now that's your assignment. There is no freedom. You don't have choice. You can't do your own thing. Well, that's perfectly true in a collective full of high, you know, uh, entropy consciousness. Low-quality consciousness will make a low-quality collective that will abuse people. No doubt about it. But we're not talking about that. And we're talking about something that probably doesn't exist except in small units. What we're talking about does exist here in, say, families. Not dysfunctional families, but functional families. Where all the members of the family care and cooperate with each other and help each other. That forms a unit that doesn't denigrate the personal freedom of people in the family, but enhances it. Because no matter what it is you want to do, the rest of your family supports it, tries to help you get there and do it, whatever it is, you see. So it's, you have to think about this differently. If you come from a fearful mind, you know, dealing with a bunch of fearful people, then the word collective is a fearful thing. It is going to be abusive and it will you know, restrict your freedom. But if you're talking about a bunch of high quality consciousness who are caring and cooperative, then you will have an environment that gives you many times more freedom, many times more choices than you would ever have in any other situation. Because no matter what it is you want to do, The rest of the people around you will want to support you in doing that. That's what it means to be cooperative and caring about other people. You see? So there'll be much more choice than there is now. That's the difference. And most people just can't imagine that because they are full of fear and everybody they know is full of fear and they say, no, that just won't work. Well, it won't work with a bunch of people who are full of fear. They're right about that. And they don't necessarily know that people who are not full of fear can actually exist And uh, that's where we're headed, and that's really our point of being here. One day, we will grow up as a species here to that point where we will be cooperative and caring. And when we will, this will be a wonderful place, and there will be more freedom than we can even imagine. More things that you can do and more choices. It'll be a lovely place to be when that happens but it's going to be a while because we've got to get rid of a lot of fear first. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. We have one more question from TJ. Go ahead, TJ. Sure. Um, let me pull it up really quick. So uh, this always pops into my head whenever I'm talking about things like this. So
1: the images of a jealous and angry God never really sat right with me from the time I was young. I couldn't make any sense of why a loving or higher evolved being would ever want to be worshipped and bowed down to and have people subservient to him. So for a culture to have a religion with an angry, like jealous God, it almost sounds like the kind of thing that is exactly what the LCS wants to avoid by kind of restricting the way we, we move around. So, mm-hmm. in the case, how come it's so hard for people to get rid of this idea that there's this angry, jealous God <laughs> watching over us? Right. The way that the reason that came about in the first place, and why it's so hard to get rid of, is that is a a metaphor of God that resembles us. You see, we are an angry, jealous people, and if we are an angry Jealous people, and we are going to imagine an angry and jealous God. So God is made in the image of the people, made in the image of, of of us. We make gods as metaphors in our own ima- in our own image, and that's why it's so hard to get away from it because that's the way it is here. That's the way people are. And we think of God as just like us, except bigger and smarter and more powerful than us. But otherwise, he's like us, you see. So God's made in, you know, in the image of its makers, if you will, which is us. You know, God's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for all for that power that's that's beyond us. It's a metaphor for the source, for the, you know, the the source of of our reality. Well, the source of our reality is the larger conscious system. In my metaphors, and in my model, that's I've got a name for that larger source too. I call it the larger conscious system. And uh, people who have come up with the angry, jealous gods, they also use that god as a metaphor for the the, the creator, for the source, for the you know the um, you know the bigger the bigger picture other than this physical, kind of the uh, non-physical being, and they make it to be just like them, just bigger and more powerful. So that's where that comes from, because how are you going to get a bunch of people to join your religion and put money in in the offering plate when it gets passed around if God isn't going to punish them for not doing it? You see, that's part of the process of, producing an organization that can, that can live, that can go on, that has power, You know, power in numbers. If you have a lot of people in your organization, your organization is powerful. If there's nobody in your organization, you don't have an organization and there's no power there. So if you have an organization and you want to have more numbers, you want to have people to support it, people that agree with you, because that's power, that's wealth, that's all of those things that fearful people want. Then you need a lot of members. You get members by giving them something they want or by frightening them into doing what you want. Fear is a handle by which you can be manipulated. You know somebody who has fear and you understand their fear, you can manipulate them just as easy as anything. Fear is a big handle that's on our back that anybody who knows our fear can just reach in and make us dance to whatever tune they want by manipulating that fear. So we have. We have a, a metaphor for our God that resembles us, and that helps us keep the church full. Because fear is a is a big motivator, and that's why it's hard to let go of that. Because we are still people that are full of fear, and as long as we're people that are full of fear, we will see fearful things. Just like what I talked about, people who talk about a collective. Oh, you know, being part of a collective would be a horrible idea. That means you wouldn't have any freedom. Those are people who only see the world through the lens of fear, because that's true in a fearful world full of fearful people and fearful institutions and a collective based on fear is going to be a nasty collective. It's going to restrict freedoms for the benefit of probably the few. Whoever's in charge are the ones that get all the benefits. The people at the bottom are the ones that get all the orders. So that's just the way a fearful collective is. And many people can't see anything else. To them, that's those two have to go together. Collective and loss of freedom and being abused, all just are logically necessary because they can't envision or see anything better because it is what they are too. If they were in charge, they'd take advantage. If they are if they're not in charge, they get ground up as one of the peons at the bottom so it's just the way people are that's the way religion is that's you know religion is not the same as spiritual there's spirituality and there's religion now the two of them can go together some but they're different things a religion is a is a club it's a membership it's an organization organizations need material stuff, they need buildings, places to meet, Uh, they need leaders and followers and all kinds of things that don't have anything at all to do with spirituality. So once your spiritual attitudes become codified in a religion, now you have a whole bunch of other issues to deal with, like property and who's in charge and who says what's right and what's wrong and all the rest of it. As long as it's just spirituality, you don't need a leader. You don't need anybody in charge. You don't need any property. You don't need anything codified. It just is. So that's the difference. Now, you can find spirituality within religion. And there's many people within a religion who are very spiritual people. And they use that religion as a, as a, a structure in which they, they, uh, they put their spirituality. And that works fine for them but they're really two different things. There's also a lot of people in religion who have no, you know, have very little spirituality. They're just in that religion because their parents were, and their grandparents were, and it's just part of their social structure and what they do, but they don't really have any sense of spirituality whatsoever. So religion and spirituality, two different things. And when you talk about the fearful God and, and so on, you're talking about religion. You're not talking about spirituality. That's part of an organization. That's a movement. Movements have other needs besides spirituality. They have they have other things. They need to pass the plate to get resources because organizations need to be resourced. Otherwise, they'll disappear. They're not organized if they can't get resources. So they tend to do those things that provide them resources. That's just, I mean, that's true of any organization, whether it's a corporation that makes widgets. You know, they've got to find money. They've got to find ways of getting funded and that's, uh doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to make better widgets. So that's that's why. It's a difference between religion and spirituality. Thanks. Well, okay.
0: All right, we'll go on to the next question uh, from Rando. In uh, the last 100 years, the world has gone through lots of big changes, and so much is happening right now. Do these vast and quick changes that are happening... Attract the interest of NPMR beings—that's non-physical reality beings. I would imagine that there would be quite a bit of interest in NPMR to see what humans are doing on planet Earth, especially in these quickly changing times.
1: Yeah, yeah that's true. There's interest there, just because this is a big simulator. Okay, we're in an, ent- an entropy reduction simulator uh, for uh, educating—or I shouldn't say educating, but for uh, you know evolving individuated units of consciousness and if this as this simulation changes character because of what the choices that are made by the by the by the consciousness playing the game then the game changes and if it's a you know if the game changes here and the way things are done and the opportunities well that's of interest to uh, not only the system that's running the game but the potential players of the game and it's it's an interest of those who would like the game to uh, to succeed, and of interest of those who would like the game to fail, whether you're on that the the rat or the anti-rat side of things. So yes, there is interest in in uh, what's going on here and and how how things are working and the choices that people are making, uh, just because it's a it's a it's a major simulator and a training tool in consciousness, and therefore it's yeah, you know, it's of interest
0: All right, And a question also from Rando is: You have mentioned that the learning accelerates over time, and the more you learn, the easier it is to learn more. What have you learned in the, fa- in the past? Edit this one. <laughs> what have you learned in the last few years that have changed some of your understandings of the larger consciousness system?
1: Well, I'd have to I'd have to think back how many last few years that would have to be. But I learn things all the time, and by all the time I don't mean minute to minute. But things kind of come together and make sense. You see things a little differently than they did before, as you grow up. Uh, you know, growing up is a long process that never ends. You see the world a little differently. I'd think that you know, in the latest things, just just this tour we made around the world, just meeting a lot of different people. Um, You know, there were, there was some changes in the way I view things just based on that. And a lot of times the changes aren't real specific. It's hard to say that, well, that changes this fact to that fact, you know, that typically they're not that clear and clean. It's more like, understanding grows a little bigger. You see a little more what people are like in a you know in a bigger perspective just because you've seen more people in different cultures in uh, different ways. So it you you learn and you grow and it's not always you can't always put it in in a pigeonhole. Say, well, I learned this and then I learned that. That's more easy you know at a beginning level. When you're in kindergarten you know, there's lots of things you can point to, right? When you're down in elementary school, you can say, oh, I learned, you know, A, B, and C. You know, I learned to add. Uh, Now, you know, I learned that, uh, you know, whatever. You know, horses live in barns. You know, you can learn all kinds of things at that level. And every day you can maybe list five or six new things that you've learned. But as you get older, it kind of comes more, um, more integrated into the whole it's not so much separate things that you're learning as it is the whole takes on more meaning and more uh becomes more interesting in certain ways um that uh you know those are things that that you just grow with and now you look back over it and you can see big changes but you don't necessarily see changes you know i mentioned the traffic a little earlier donna that we uh, that we saw in uh, new delhi and that we saw in Bali how oh, the traffic was totally unregulated, it just was, and everybody was, you know, a little island themselves, but at the same time, cooperative with other people, everybody knew that everybody else was trying to do something too, so, you know, nobody actually ran into people, there was no road rage, you didn't find that everybody was, was, uh, you know, angry with everybody else, that wasn't there at all, they were all just getting along, trying to get to where they wanted to go, and they weren't particularly upset about it, it's just, the way it worked there and i found that a very interesting study in the uh, kind of the counterpoint of a top-down um, central management way philosophy of life versus a bottoms-up distributed management way of life and you see that affects us in lots of ways like take the internet the reason that the internet is very successful and a powerful and a wonderful tool is because it's not regulated from the top down. It's not a, a, um, you know, it's not set up from above with a lot of rules. Now people would like to make it that way, but, uh, it's not, it's a, uh, it's like the traffic in Bali. You know, it's everybody does their own thing in their own way. And, that's a uh, a distributed, distributed uh, um, leadership as opposed to a centralized leadership. So we can look at things like that and say that's good as long as people can get along and cooperate and make things work. Then maybe it's better to have that distributed power structure rather than that top. You know, undistributed, that centralized power structure. And we can think it in terms of our civil life, in terms of the Internet, in terms of our private lives. So that was just one thing. Just looking at that traffic brought up to me this this uh, juxtaposition of central control versus distributive control and how it works and what the advantages and disadvantages are. And I thought about that some because it has a lot to do with consciousness and a growth You know, this is not about central control growing up, growing up is distributed function altogether, you see. And then I thought about some of my life that I live in a very structured place, you know, and, uh, you know, it was my my life is full of rules that uh, come from not only government, but uh, social, you know, social conventions, whatever, all these rules and you wonder how much do those rules actually make it easier to get to get along to get around you know to get through an intersection where five roads come together and how much of those rules just arbitrary they get in the way it's just central control somebody on, who has power decides this is the way it'll be and we all then follow the rules so Just considering that in various aspects of my life, well, that's something that happened to me just on this trip, and it was because of the traffic in Bali that I started to reconsider central control versus uh, decentralized control in all aspects of life and uh, what the advantages and disadvantages are. How much control do we need from the top, you see? And I think it makes a big difference where we are. If we're a bunch of uh, people with very low quality and we're constantly, it's all about us, and we're very self-centered, then central control is probably the only way that we can get along with each other. All right, guys, here are the rules. Follow them, you see, because if we don't have those rules imposed on us, it's just all about us, and we don't mind you know, hurting somebody else if it gets us ahead. Whereas if we care more about each other, and we're more cooperative, we don't need this central control. It just becomes... A constraint, a constriction that uh, that lowers the amount of of uh, you know creativity we can have, of of ways that we can express ourselves. So I think we need more central control sometimes, some places, some people, some attitudes, and we need less other places. And perhaps growing up, becoming love as a culture, as a species, we're going to see a lot of this centralized control just disappear, and it won't be. This collective run from a centralized control, we'll see this collective run from a distributed control. It won't be centralized in a spot. It'll be all of us because we just care about each other. Sort of like the traffic at Bailey. You know, they don't have any controller that says, Okay, you guys stop and you guys go. Everybody just does their best. Gets along, but they look out for each other and everybody gets through. So yeah, things like that to answer this question. Lots of things, lots of little details in your life will cause you to reassess things to help you grow and see bigger pictures. It's just a matter of grabbing that opportunity and then making something of it. So I have those kinds of things happen to me all the time. Because the more you learn, the easier it is to learn more. You see that a lot of people would look at that traffic and just say, wow, what a madhouse. And never really learn anything about the nature of reality from it. Other people might you see, so it's just the way it is. It's easier to learn more when you've already learned something. You see connectedness of lots of things, and that learning goes on day by day, hour by hour, but it doesn't just erupt as "I learned a thing like it does in you know in kindergarten. it's I just got another perspective that helps me see the world a little differently and it's i didn't come to any conclusions particularly it's just up there cooking you know in my head about not uh, accepting rules just because they're there one needs to see a bigger picture and reevaluate how we live and what we do and what we value and what we don't